0: nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog, wonderful lads that do a great job there, and worth reading about that man there, Karim Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why, it's a good read.
1: Hello and welcome, it's your patron-only Managing Madrid podcast. It's your host, Gabe Lesra, and I'm joined by Omar Vind uh, to discuss, as far as I can tell, Om, there's essentially no Real Madrid news for us to discuss because Real Madrid's basically done nothing since the weekend.
2: Yeah, it's been about all the other teams in the Champions League, four very interesting games over the past couple of days, um, I guess we can talk about that a little bit. I know our followers would probably be interested in how Barcelona and Atletico Madrid have been doing. and I know I know some of some of our followers also care about other European teams because we're lovers of football, it's not Real Madrid. Yeah. So talk about that for a little bit. So we're going to jump
1: in. We've got our two main rivals playing uh, two of our other big rivals. So um, four Champions League games to discuss. We'll do them each briefly with a little bit more focus on the ones that impact, have maybe a more direct impact on Real Madrid. Um Barcelona zero, Lyon zero. Um, in Lyon, uh, let's see. Uh, Atletico Madrid two, Juventus zero. In in Madrid, uh, Bayern zero, Liverpool zero, and Manchester City two, Schalke two are the four games that we we'll briefly discussed. City,
2: city one three. They,
1: oh, they city one. They scored a third. That's that's yeah. something I didn't yeah. even see. Um, so I also just. I just wanted to quickly glance at the tabloids to see what, like, the new drama they're trying to make about Real Madrid is. Uh, Oh, there's some Bale. So there's there's some Bale stuff. That's one of the other ones I want to talk about. Let's briefly talk about that. Uh, So the, will Real Madrid sell Bale and will they sell Marcelo, that kind of stuff, it's all back, sort of. Um, That had kind of died down in the wake of... The Isco drama, I think, uh, and in the wake of Bale kind of playing well at the beginning of the season and all this stuff, but it's back and forth now that Bale has kind of gone back to um, being marginally injured and occasionally playing bad games and having Vinicius uh, playing so well, and so they have—they're uh, reporting today that Real Madrid's board and all these people are are very upset with Bale. Also there was that um, drama involving Thibaut Courtois saying a totally normal thing um, about how one day they all went out for dinner and Bale decided to go home early to go to sleep. And Mm -hmm. Real Madrid, er, sorry, the papers went absolutely fucking insane. That's like among the most insane things. They were like, Bale's not integrating into the squad because he wanted to go to sleep earlier. And it's like, you know that is just incredibly not what they're talking about. But anyway, so the bail stuff is back a little bit. Um, I have nothing to add other than this is, this is a, just the same bullshit we've had for years, and bail is still around. So,
2: yeah, I, I mean, there, there are a lot of things I could say about this, um, especially because, it. I mean, there's a few things I get like legitimately incensed about because this is sports. Like, yeah. I get depressed, you know, sometimes I'm a little mad, <gasps> but mostly it's just Sorry, us doing badly in kind of a game or something, right? And like that's nothing to get overly worried <gasps> about, but this kind of stuff just disgusts me, quite frankly. Um, some so some people are arguing with me and they're like, Are you telling me that, you know, the Spanish press has an agenda against bill Yes, quite yes. frankly. Yes, yes, we are. That's
1: exactly what we're saying.
2: I mean, I I apologize if I wasn't clear enough, but this is one hundred percent a biased agenda. I mean, this is—I mean, this is not even coming from me. Lucas, Lucas, who knows the Spanish media inside out, told us told us this years ago. You know, they have their particular agendas. They want Spanish players from the Spanish national team in, and someone like Bale, it is just someone they're always going to target. I mean, if you look at the way—I mean, what was even worse about the Courtois whole Courtois story thing? was that not only did they try to frame that as 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 a cultural integration thing, his refusal to integrate in the team, but they tried to phrase it also like like they randomly added in, Oh, by the way, Bale doesn't know any Spanish, so you know, why is he even here? What is he doing? I mean it's just it's just such a low blow. I mean, it's like they they honestly do not care, like, you know, whether Bale is correctly culturally integrating or not. They're just taking cheap pod shots at him. Because because he's not Spanish and yeah. he, he 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 doesn't speak Spanish publicly, and and I, I I really don't have any time for any arguments that are siding with that. Because if you are, I need to be very clear. You're just playing to a very petty agenda against one of our players. Like it's not a valid criticism to say, ah, oh, you know, Bell doesn't really know Spanish. Is he Indian? I mean. It doesn't fucking matter. I mean, when he scored bicycle kick in the Champions League final against Liverpool, no one cared. It's only when Bale plays poorly that people keep bringing it up. And by doing that, it proves that this is not a critique that is centered around some kind of intelligent comment on cultural integration. It's merely a stick to beat Bale with when he's performing poorly. It's just an extra excuse to pursue an agenda. Yep. So, I mean, if you want to criticize Bale's form, go ahead. I, I personally think Bale hasn't played very well this season. Reasonable people can disagree about that kind of thing, but then going and, and 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 kind of going on about how Bale doesn't know Spanish, this is why you know he doesn't deserve to be here. He doesn't care. I mean, it's just Aguero doesn't hardly knows any English. He admitted it himself that he's one of the best forwards in in history. I I mean, come on, like. Just do better with with your criticism. Don't don't play into the hands of of, of a really petty agenda being right. led by the Spanish press.
1: And I don't I don't give you know any I, I mean and I think I've said before that it's my opinion that not only is this agenda is this clearly just a low blow stick to to hit bail with. It's also I think likely not entirely even. It's not even true that he doesn't speak Spanish. But on top of that. The Courtois stuff, which I, I will also say I have – I do not blame Courtois at all for that. He was yeah. relaying what I saw thought to be a kind of cute story about how, <laughs> yeah, I'm like really Spanish. My family is Spanish. I've lived here forever. I like to eat at Spanish times where mm-hmm. you go out to eat at 9.30 and you're done by, with dinner by 11.30 and you're home in bed at, at like 1 uh, and other people reasonably <laughs> – Like reasonable people in other countries don't eat at those times. And people like Bale say, you know, maybe want to go home and eat at seven or eat at eight and go to sleep early and get a little more sleep. That is, it's like, it's like this cute, Kroos was the other, by the way, also involved um, in this. And no one at all has said that (laughs) Kroos has some problem um, uh, integrating. And that's exactly the point. It's because it's not about, it's not about any of that. It's just about, slandering and attacking gareth bale and frankly i thought it was kind of a cute story about how these two dudes who are a little bit more reserved and a little bit not really not really willing or able to like totally commit to the spanish lifestyle which i think is Actually, totally reasonable, especially when you're a professional who has to be ready to like run
2: a few miles every morning by like 10 a.m. Right? They had they had training the next morning. Like, (laughs) if we're going to talk about who wants to integrate into the team and be serious about, I mean, then you can. I mean, it's stupid. Regardless, like, this doesn't fucking matter. But if you want to phrase it in that way, then you then you would have to say, "Oh, Bale is actually the more serious one here because he wants to go to bed go to go to bed early so he can train properly in the morning." I mean, it's just. I mean, it's – I mean, if you don't like Bill, and that's fine, you know, people can have their own opinions. Just don't use this as part of, of your criticism against it because it's not legitimate. And whether you realize it or not, I mean, it's adding a lot of credence to, to a petty agenda.
1: Yeah, and frankly, each country has their own like minor xenophobic stuff and you don't want to be part of that. You don't want to be buying into like – the kind of cultural xenophobia that these guys have, like they, they, you know, don't like that he's, he's different and is, you know, not exactly what they, he's not exactly like them. And that's, that is part of this. Like he, he's kind of a quiet and, you know, soft-spoken man who really values his time with his wife and his family, which is very clear in everything that anyone has ever said about him. He's not really a partier. He doesn't really go out. Like he you know, he, he likes to go home and spend time quietly with his wife, watching a movie. And like these people don't have that as their image of what a footballer should be, and especially a Spanish footballer. And suddenly that they want to take that out as if that's a bad thing. It's just it's literally just it it's pretty gross, frankly. And so let's I, I don't think we should give it tons more air, but I do think that it's pretty like, it's pretty indicative of the way these people um, have have created this. And it's a longstanding addition, like, uh, the longstanding problem with Bale. They've always sort of had a problem with him. They don't like, they never liked the idea that the next big Real Madrid pro- player was going to be, uh, like, the, the, possibly the next big Real Madrid player star was going to be, like, a, a Welshman Who's like soft-spoken and slightly strange-looking with big ears? Like, it's it's that is a big part of this. So, uh, I I I want to move on from that. I do think it's a thousand percent fair to criticize Bale's form. Like, m- my dude has not played as well as perhaps he he should or or can, and he's always one of these players whose potential and whose whose abilities are uh, a little bit peaks and valleys. Uh, which, you know, if he really wanted to be the Ballon d'Or player that he could be, he would need to be more consistent. And that's totally fair. And if you think that maybe the move for Real Madrid is to move on and uh, sell him at at a peak value for quite a bit of money and in order to bring in someone who, let's say, is a little more consistent, doesn't get injured as much, and you can kind of count on game in, game out to provide very high-level play, which is, I think – you can't always count on bail to do that. Then that is a totally legitimate and real art argument and a thought based on analysis and reason of of the team and its composition. But saying we need to move on from bail because he wants to go home to have dinner with his wife and go to bed early before training is like one of the stupidest things that I've seen in the media, the Spanish media print, and that's saying something.
2: Yeah. Well said. I don't have anything to add to
1: that. Uh. All right. So that's that's our Real Madrid. Kind of gossip. Also, shout out um, Ray Hudson, man. We got a shout out uh, during the game. That was
2: pretty cool. That it is also
1: cool. shout out to the people who were annoyed that we were talking about that. You guys are the real heroes. <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> shout out to Matt for that for that solid article, um, which was what Ray was specifically shouting out, which was um, about how Benzema. You know, he probably needs to get some rest because if he's projected to continue the minute set, like at the rate that he's been playing, it would be more than any other starter in Real Madrid history, um, outfield player in Real Madrid history in the league. And you know, there's been a, a history with Benzema burning out a little bit towards the end because he plays too much. And I mean, that's I mean, it was just a good logical article article with you know. Facts, statistics, you know, looking at the injury list to back up what he said. Um, and if you haven't taken a look at it, go to managementgrid.com, check it out. It's very interesting article.
1: Let's talk – let's jump into the Champions League a little bit now because uh, I think that's what people are here to – or at least, you know – Maybe they're just here to hear us shoot the shit a little bit, but oh yeah, and also, like I said, shout out to the people who, uh, very regular people who yelled at us for talking about how we got a shout out from Ray Hudson, um, and they're like, Real Madrid lost a game, and you guys are talking about your shout out. It's like you guys, that's that's cool. You guys are the real fans. But seriously, it is incredible that this silly little website that we created all those years ago is like getting talked about by the by the people calling the game. It's pretty awesome. Um all right. Let's do let's do Leon Barca first. Leon Barca um you were I think covering this a little bit more than I was on but I'll just say just from the kind of advanced stats that I'm looking at, this is a game that Barca dominated and should have won. And um, they simply weren't clinical in front of goal, is what it looks like. But I'm here. I'm excited to hear more about what you have to say.
2: So I watched the Liverpool Bayern game, mm. but um, I did talk about the Barca Leon game with the person covering it and you know other people watching it. I mean, there was the general idea is that yes, Barcelona did dominate this game, um, but there was also the sense that Leon were playing quite poorly and not up to their level. So the thing with Leon is that. They're a really, really good transition team. They have lots of great, high-quality technical attackers. You know, Memphis, Dubai, um, Nabil Fekir, who was who was not able to play this game, and that was a, that was a huge reason why Leon weren't able to play that well. Um, but I mean, they just it it, it kind of what. From what I heard, it appeared to be that they were kind of taken in by the scale of the moment, which is a bit strange because they played really well against PSG in the league. They beat Manchester City in the Champions League in, in, in the group stage, but it seemed like this one was just a little too much for them, and they started off rather poorly. You know, their defensive structure wasn't that solid, and when they did want to break, you know, it was just inefficient. And I think that's kind of where the lo- the 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 loss of here kind of affected them and really it was down to Barcelona just missing a lot of clear-cut chances. And there were also complaints that, you know, when Barcelona were pushing, they, they for the, for the goal, they looked like they were on top. On um, Valverde subbed off Usman Dembele, who was playing really well. And Barcelona's, um, Barcelona's offensive potency seemed to drop from them. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, I I mean, Barcelona were better. They, they're probably going to go through, but, it, it's also important to keep in mind that it's still nil nil, and and Leon didn't play at their highest potential. I'll,
1: I'll say that I um, I watched chunks of this game, and it it did seem like actually I uh, there was more in it than than just a, Barca, classic Barça dominance match, um, mainly be not just because I think Leon still has uh, is actually better than what they showed, but also because, frankly. Barcelona may have dominated a number of things, but they actually didn't look pretty, like they didn't look that good, and their tactics were strange. And there was a lot of this when Barcelona is playing badly. I'll say, here's a, here's the way i I'll, I'll say this: when Barcelona is playing badly, they fall back on expecting Messi to do much much more. For example, they felt fall back on Messi essentially having to drop deep and become the conduit for moving the ball between the lines rather than someone who can receive the ball higher up the pitch and create stuff either in transition or at the top of the um, – or in, in the final third. Uh, and so they expect him to drop very deep and essentially run by a number of people to create space, which of course he's Messi so he can do that and, and that that has served them – acceptably well when they've not played particularly well in the past and that was we were seeing a fair amount of that in this match and frankly we've seen a fair amount of it under the valve under under Valverde generally who is a fascinating coach for Barcelona because it doesn't seem like he has a super great grasp on uh on the offense some offensive elements of, of of their system and the removal of Ousmane Dembele really did change the match and made Barcelona once again kind of fall back on this Messi, uh, uh, on Messi to become both their, uh, you know, ball mover and creator and also their goal scorer, which is hard for one person to do, even if you are, you know, all, all-time great Messi, right? So it's not that surprising that Barca couldn't pull off a, a win. Now the expected goals are they had two two expected goals and they got zero. So you know, really, in in a uh, normal situation, they should have at least put one away. But it's it's not that surprising that they struggled a little bit uh, uh, under you know with the tactics that they were employing. And one other thing that happened before this match, um, that I that I now you know have on my note that I wanted to talk about was that. Uh, Barcelona just announced that Valverde was hired to an extension uh, and the overwhelming response from Barcelona fans has been very very negative to that news to the extent that I actually didn't know I knew that Barcelona fans didn't love Ernesto Valverde but I didn't know that it was as vitriolic as it seemed like the response was
2: yeah so um, if If our listeners aren't aware, if some of our listeners aren't aware, Valverde is a vastly unpopular figure. And it's not just because of what he's done this season. Even last season, when Barcelona nearly completed an invincible season, most Barcelona fans did not like him. And the primary... So there are... I I think um, there are actually a lot of decent critiques to be thrown at Valverde. You mentioned Juan Gabe, like doesn't have the greatest grasp of some of the offensive mechanisms that you want to get the best out of Barcelona I'd also say that you know throughout this entire season he still hasn't really figured out what his best 11 looks like he's never been able to find that balance um that he had in his 4-4-2 high pressing 4-4-2 in the first half of last season and I think you know Barcelona have declined from there a little bit but you know, I, I think in this instance, when analyzing or just looking at the perspective of Barcelona fans in this case, I think you have to go Occam's razor, and I think it's just the fact that yeah. he Valverde doesn't utilize a positional play system. He doesn't play quote unquote tiki taka, and Barcelona fans want a manager that supposedly plays the Barça way. You know, I'm, I'm not sure that they always entirely understand the specifics of what the Barca way means. But Valverde is very clearly not playing that very attractive, short passing style all the time. And that makes Barcelona fans frustrated and also explains why they weren't happy when Barcelona were winning last season. Mm-hmm. So, I mean… That's, I mean, it's why they also weren't happy when Luis Enrique won the treble with Barcelona. They're not going to like it unless someone like Kike Setien comes in and takes over. And even if Barcelona lose, you know, they're, they're, they're probably going to be happier. That's just, yeah, I mean, that's just their mentality. It's just the way they see the game.
1: Uh, I don't have much else to say about this game. So let's transition to, um, It is it is striking to me, just, I'll just end this segment by saying it's striking to me that um, it really is striking to me the vitriol because I guess we'll just never really understand as Real Madrid fans that if you're a coach, if you have a coach that's constantly winning, it, it there is a little bit of pretension, I think, in the notion that you would rather have your team play in a specific way than win because there's this basic belief i guess from the i don't know what fucking era this comes from that that football is there's a particular correct way to play the game and it's this is a particular belief that i find absolutely infuriating and i know that you do as well but the the way to play the game is the way that wins and like that's the whole point of games generally this isn't Politics. I mean, like this isn't <laughs> politics. This is not art. This is a sport where you want to end up with more points than your the the other team, and that's the entire point of it.
2: And I don't. Like- I mean, I mean, the slogan of the club, the club is "Mestizo Club." I mean, pretension, pretension is is part of the entire thing. I mean, I I know the Mestizo Club is more about a political thing, but I, I think, think that's that's just seeped into their footballing philosophy as well and it comes from that it comes from Cruyff you know I respect Cruyff a lot obviously one of the greatest tacticians of all time arguably the most influential coach in the history of the game but Cruyff did have a great arrogance about the way he thought games should be played he thought the way that he was getting at it is the only way that it could be played. And ever since Preuss came in and reformed, and, and to his, I mean, he changed Barcelona. He made them into the elite team they are. But it also, he also brought an arrogance with him about the way football should be played, arguing that it is an art form. It's not really a sport, it is an art form. And I mean, it's carried ever since. And yeah. Club has turned from what was once a political slogan to the fans and and to the philosophy, really meaning okay, we're more than just a football club. On the pitch, we have to produce you know this certain type of beauty or, or whatever the hell that's supposed to mean. But uh,
1: let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about Liverpool, Bayern. One of the things that I've noticed about uh, about Bayern is there, I think, pretty noticeable decline as a super club over the last few years. And I don't know how much of that to chalk up to the fact that I feel like they've missed on a couple of their important youth signings, I think most notably Renato Sanchez. Uh, Do you feel like that's a fair uh, understanding of Bayern, that they've kind of declined over the last couple seasons? Or do you feel like they... um, are just working out some kinks and still have the squad to be an elite, like absolutely elite club.
2: I, I, it's un, it's undeniable that Bayern Munich have have declined. I do think they're still going to win the Bundesliga. Um, Main, I mean, mainly because the underlying numbers, you know, greatly favor Bayern. Dortmund, I mean, Dortmund still have a chance, right? Because we're this far into the season, but Dortmund have been overperforming, and they're really playing out of their skin to stay where they are on the table. I mean, it would have to be – they'd have to, like, pull a Leicester um, essentially to, like, stay over Bayern because Bayern just has that much superiority yeah. even though they are declining. But even in giving that, like, let's say Bayern, you know, they, they they have improved, you know, since the start of the season. That continues all the way to the end. They get the lead. It's still undeniable, like you said, that they have declined. And the main reason I think simply is – there's so many issues with Kovac and his tactics and, and all of that. But the main reason is simply the client personnel. Mm-hmm. You know, Ribery is like 35 years old. aryan Robin is, is on the wrong side of 30. and He's back with his injury issues. You know, the the midfield core, like Swythside, was gone a long time ago. I mean, but they saw great players. Like Kimmich, Kimmich's a fantastic right back. You could argue he's the best in the world right now. Um, you know, Cancel, obviously, in that conversation, Carvajal when he's on form. Um, so given that, I kind of expected Liverpool to not blow them away, but definitely score. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought Byron managed the game fairly well. Um, especially, I think, they managed well against Liverpool's medium-high block, um, which is... In my opinion, probably the scariest defensive structure to try to penetrate in world football because you have Salah from you know, Mane just kind of hanging around the box, not really pressing, just kind of baiting, baiting yeah, passes I mean, into the central midfielders. You know, literally just allowing open passing lanes, and it's so inviting. You if you if you've never seen Liverpool play before, you'd look at that and be like, well, that's stupid. But Bayern didn't fall for it because they they knew that if you if you pass into those central areas. Salah, Firmino, Mane will just collapse on you from from behind and force the ball into areas where it can be created turnovers. So Byron kept playing in wide areas, kept going direct. Um, It made their attack fairly ineffective, but it prevented a lot of dangerous turnovers. And their defense was strong enough to prevent Liverpool from creating a ton of great chances. So it created essentially a stalemate. And I think Neil Mill is is a pretty good scoreline to go back to at the Allianz Arena, and Bayern will probably be happier with how the game went than Liverpool.
1: I mean, the advanced stats indicate that Liverpool had, that Liverpool had, again, much the better run of it in terms of just whether on a, you know, like a, assuming everything else, they, uh, uh, you know, you would have expected them right in a neutral environment to score. I mean, the ex- right. expected goals was two and two point two to to point five. So there did there was something that went wrong a little bit with Liverpool. Right. You would so say. I mean,
2: it was for for Liverpool, it was two periods in the game where they created their chances. Like it was towards the end of the first half and towards the end of the second half. Mm. And the first half was the towards the end of the first half is when they got all of their high quality shots, and they were really two really huge ones. I mean, this is what inflates their XG total. There was one that was a deflected shot that fell to Mane, and he kind of spun around off-balance and he sent it way wide. But it was clearly a big chance. Like, if if Mane was facing the right way and he was on balance, that was going in. And the other was, like, the only time Liverpool actually managed to create something, like, not not something lucky like a deflected shot, but, like, from great build-up and intricate play, Um, when when they played across into the box after a link up between Firmino and Salah and Joel Mati, you know, he shot shot wide in post when he really should have put it on target. So, I mean, in that sense, right, like Liverpool should have taken advantage of those situations. But other than those two chances, I never really got the impression that they were particularly threatening to Bayern. I mean, towards the end, because in the second half, they didn't have a single shot until the 80th minute, and then they picked up a bunch of shots from set pieces and stuff. So it was like in moments they found a way through, but for the vast majority of the game, you know, there wasn't much. It's
1: interesting. This is one of those situations where the advanced stats actually don't tell the whole story because you can rack up expected goals very quickly if you have a number of shots in a short period of time. But when you're analyzing a game, you know, that's why you can't just look at these. You have to understand – when you're talking about who executed you to their game plan, well, you have to step back and see when exactly those XG were racked up. So uh, it does – it sounds like to me what you're saying is that, you know, Bayern actually kind of went into Anfield, which is an incredibly hard place to play and executed a rather, you know, I mean, a rather good game plan against a very, very dangerous Liverpool team.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think I think you could still fairly say Liverpool probably should have scored one goal simply because of that Mane chance. Like that was that was that was their biggest chance and, and it was it, it was simply a bad finish. Like there there really is no excuses for that. Um, but I think I think Kovac would have taken it, right? Like if you told him before the game, you know, you can pretty much neutralize Liverpool but they'll have one big Mane chance that comes from a deflected shot and then Liverpool only create one other high-quality chance from intricate play, would you take that? And you know he might say, yeah, I'll take that because I'm, I'm coming here kind of trying to play for the draw. Because Bayern, I mean, so, so the thing with approaching Liverpool as a big team is they're, they're going to play in that medium-high block all the time, trying to bait you into playing into those central areas. And so if you're a team like Bayern, like City, that's used to playing out from the back, there's not really much you can do. I mean, you can pass it into wide areas. So if you lose the ball, it goes out for throwing instead of, like, a counterattack and all of that. The only thing you can really do is try to affect Liverpool with your own defensive strategy. Uh, now, there are ways to go direct and, and stuff like that, which are probably better, but most big, most of the so-called bigger teams aren't really built to play that way. Um, so if, if you're a bottom Munich who has inferior talent but is used to playing a particular way, I think approaching... Things the way that Kovac did, which we is just be being be really cautious and build up and then having a good defensive plan, is probably the best way that you can look to to, to tackle Liverpool. It,
1: it does seem like Bayern has not managed to convert their, or has not converted their young talent to high end elite attack, like their young attacking talent to high end elite players, and that what I mean by that is. There needs to be a certain amount of squad turnover. Um, when your players like if you want to be a very elite team, you can't keep running out of 35 year old Ribery. uh, you have to move on. And the way you know, teams that have not unlimited, you know, oil money or our Real Madrid budgets, uh, is to find younger players that actually do pan out well and and turn those young players into into the stars that they're supposed to be. And it seems like Bayern, which is a previously a team that's done that very well, has just, I mean, I, could, I can't name a, a super high-end, young attacking talent that Bayern has that I think is truly a world-beating, not just world-beater right now, but like world-beater for the next five or six years. Lewandowski is genuinely an incredible player, but he's definitely on the wrong end of his career. And, even he is beginning to decline. So it's it, – Bayern really need, have a lot of work to do and you, you, part of the problem is that they actually missed out on some of the people who they wanted to get over the last few years. I know that they wanted to go get this guy from Chelsea um, uh, and they were also in the Polish sweepstakes. All these people could be very high-end attacking players. Um, but some of their bets also didn't work out, like Sanchez, for example. And we'll see how someone like Alfonso Davies, who they brought in from from MLS, is going to work out. But uh, I, it does seem to me that they've they really have a lot of work to do in in rebuilding their squad. So yeah, they, they if, really need to if, get if, on that. to to add to that. and I,
2: This is something I was only recently made aware of. I, I don't know how many non you know people who don't pay attention to bundesliga i don't know how many fans like that are aware of this but german teams are in a harder financial situation simply because the bundesliga has a lot stricter financial rules so even real madrid now even we're, we're financials we're a financial superpower even now we're at a disadvantage against city and psg because we don't have this unlimited oil money but bayern munich while in no means poor are at a disadvantage to even like a Real Madrid or Man United simply because there's certain regulations that just don't allow them to produce as much revenue. Like I I think they have to give more back and stuff like that. So I mean, I I encourage you guys to look into this and look into the details because I haven't. I was just kind of told this, you know, was in discussion with this offhand. So Bayern even more than a Real Madrid have to find, you know, either diamonds in the rough or they have to do what they've done the past, like, five years, which is leech talent off, like, a Borussia Dortmund and, you know, just weaken your league competition so you can roll over the league and then ride this, like, generation of superstars, like, Ribbon and Robby... Uh, sorry, Robin and Ribbon and Jesus <laughs> um, to, like, a Champions League crown. So, I mean, I, I, I think this de- decline was somewhat inevitable... And I think it's been made a little worse by like what you said, Gabe, with someone like Renato Sanchez not working out exactly in the way that they hoped.
1: Uh, Let's transition time to talk a little bit about Juve Atleti. I know that's another game everyone wants to talk about. I watched that today. Fascinating performance from Atleti. I don't think almost anyone would have expected – this match to go the way it did, given that Atleti has been struggling mightily recently and and have produced some truly bad performances. But this match against Juve, it was pretty vintage vintage Simeone, very very strong defensive performance from Atleti, very compact four four two, with Griezmann really vintage Griezmann playing everywhere, incredibly incredibly. Uh, uh, threatening the whole match um and then a couple of breakthroughs later on in the game uh that that led to uh two nothing and juve just couldn't get anything going offensively i mean really vintage atletico performance um to really i think put juve uh, right on that brink of elimination it's going to take a really massive effort in the next match to to get back into
2: this thing Yeah, so I watched this game, and I think you did as well, Gabe. Um, I think everything you said was accurate. Um, I mean, I don't think I need to explain too much to Real Madrid fans how Atletico approached this game. It was pretty typical. They had the 4-4-2. I guess the surprise was that Diego Costa started in place of Morata. Um, You know, they, they scored off two set pieces. You know, they... They did press a bit, like 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 they tend to do in some of the bigger games to try to take the initiative, especially when they're at the Wanda. And they essentially, I mean, they, they defended fairly well, and they ended up getting a result off set pieces. Sounds fairly typical, um, but I and I think they, so. You you think of that and and just realize that Athletic did all of that what they usually do at a much higher level because they were more fired up and all of that. They usually perform in the Champions League, but I think we also need to emphasize that I think. Massimiliano Allegri approached this game all wrong. Um, there are very few times where I feel like Allegri gets the big games wrong, where he misjudges things like this. You know, One of those times is I think, the Champions League final against Real Madrid and um, the first leg versus Real Madrid um, in last season's Champions League. And I think he got it wrong today because I think Allegri thought that he could outgrind Atletico Madrid and beat them that way rather than trying to outplay them. And I can understand that if this is different versions of Atleti. But this is one of the versions of Atleti where it's easiest to outplay. And I say this in a relative sense, obviously, because it's never easy to play against Atletico Madrid. And I just don't think he played to the team's strength. With Ronaldo coming in, Juventus had become a much better team playing on the front foot. And they also become a little more susceptible on the counterattack because there's a lot greater fluidity. So I think, I think he made a mistake in the way they approached it and also by not starting João Cancelo. If you're, yeah. if you're trying to break down Atleti and your primary strategy is to cross, which it is for the Juventus since Ronaldo has joined, you need your best wide creator on the field. And I cannot emphasize this enough. Giao Cancelo is by far the best offensive fullback in the league. Right. Right back in, in the world right now. Maybe even fullback in the world right now, just from a pure offensive standpoint. And I think the reason Allegri went with Desciglio is because he's like, okay, Cancelo isn't great defensively. And I also heard some rumors about Pjanic maybe being ill because of the flu or something, and he started the game, so he's like, okay, I want to protect that way. But it became clear after the first half that what it essentially ensued was like an even game, and in this even encounter where not many chances are being created, Atleti looked likelier to be the team that won. And that's what manifested in the second half. Simeone realized what Allegri was trying to do, actually asked Atletico Madrid to go on the front foot, and Juventus couldn't handle it, and you know not only did they concede, you know, set pieces, they also conceded a goal that was ruled off because Maratha supposedly pushed, you know, a defender down. It was it was a bit of a shaky call, and then they also conceded other open play chances. Yeah, it- Juventus you said, Juventus should have tried to go out there and should have tried to outplay Atleti. They should have played to their strengths. They should have put crosses into the box and trusted that, you know, this Atleti isn't as good on offense and defense as they've been in the past. Even though, even when considering that they were playing much better today. Yeah.
1: I think there are, there's a, this game, at least for me, raised a a lot of questions about Allegri because it just seems like he got essentially everything wrong in this match. It's just, you don't see a team get as I think comprehensively outplayed a team. That's as good as Juventus, especially this season, that's as comprehensively outplayed unless you're, your manager approaches it with the wrong tactical ideas, and what was really stunning to me was that he seemed to not make any major changes at halftime. And Atleti actually came out even better in the second half, uh, creating more chances and continuing their uh, their defensive solidity. It was it was a really fascinating decision. And you've I think touched on the main issues with Allegri, but I'll just say that Simeone, uh, I I don't I mean. He, it is a different Atletico Madrid, right? Because you're right that in the past, perhaps whipping, they were very content as a team to to sit back and absorb pressure, especially pressure that comes from the wings where people whip in crosses. Because previously, Godín was all-time great, you know, aerial defender. They and Oblak is one of the great aerial keepers, and and Courtois was when he was there as well. And uh, but now. They don't, they do struggle a little bit more with wing play. And Juan Fran has definitely declined, Godin has definitely declined. And I think there's definitely vulnerability there. And if you're Juve and you have players that are that good and this high end on the wings and up front and in the air, it does seem like you can expect to move the ball around outside and take the game to Leti on that side, especially uh, as you were saying. And Allegri just didn't seem to. I don't know what he was thinking, but he just didn't seem to go that direction.
2: Yeah, um, I think I think he was. I think he was really worried about, you know, possibly. You know, I I, I, can, I haven't confirmed Pianis having the flu, but yeah. I was talking with someone who's defending Allegri's approach, and they kept bringing that up. I mean, I'm assuming this person is not lying. Um, I think that might have been something he was really worried about. Pjanic did not play very well. It certainly looked like he was sick with the way he was giving the ball away, and yeah, didn't look I mean, like he just, he just wasn't up to it. But I, I think he just had a little too much respect for Atletico's yeah. counter attack. Um, it's, I mean, Atletico Madrid just haven't been that great this season. That's and totally
1: I, a good point. Also, I mean,
2: I, and I think it all kind of stems from that, right? Because it, that's why. He didn't approach it in a very offensive manner. That's why Cancelo didn't start, because he was afraid of the counterattack. And the funny thing was that Simeone started Coke on the left wing. I mean, obviously, that's no, there's no way Allegri could have predicted that. I thought Lamar was going to start. Allegri probably thought Lamar was going to start, but Coke started on the left wing. And so that completely, like, you know, okay, why can't Cancelo be on the pitch? Because it's not like Coke is a great counterattack and threat on the left. I mean, he's more of a central midfielder, But... It just, it just kind, of kind of all went wrong for you. Babe. I mean, I I, 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 I kind, kind of feel, of feel like 2-0 was a little harsh on them. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll have, have to see the expected goals when it comes out, but they, they definitely deserve, deserve to lose because they literally produce nothing offensively. Every time they tried, they tried to get into Atleti's half, you know, they, they tried to play a pass into Daivala and he was swarmed. Like four or five players would just swarmed him. He had no connections. You know, Dispiaglio was no help on the right flank, and it just eventually Juventus just started resorting to long balls into Ronaldo, and he was isolated, and he was he was always tackled. It it just wasn't approached very well. I mean, sometimes you know the best coaches in the world get it wrong. You know, I think Allegri is an elite coach, but I mean, he he did badly today.
1: I uh, I will also add now, just transitioning to some of those more controversial plays in the second half. Um, there is a thing that I that I noticed with the Morata goal that was called off by VAR. By the way, Morata just having a brutally unlucky start to the to his <laughs> career with Atletico. He's actually played pretty damn well and he scored a great goal today and it was called off on one of the one of the softest pushing calls I've seen. And part of the reason it was called off though is that there's a bias in um yeah there's a bias in our the way we perceive video that when you look at something in slow-mo or even or super slow-mo any contact um in any case is always going to be exaggerated because it changes people's movement any change in movement is wildly exaggerated in super slow-mo and when you saw the play from a that particular angle where you saw maratha's arms and and connect with uh Chiellini's body i think it was Chiellini, uh, it looked like he just threw him to the ground, but in real time, and 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 what actually happened was that there was contact, there was you know jockeying, but in no way did I did I see an any actual thing that would that would constitute a, a penalizable shove, uh, and so there is a question about how we in the future instruct referees to account for the bias of super slow and and slow-mo tech when you're doing replay analysis, because those, that tech is really, really good for, again, offside, which is like the crucial and and goal line stuff, which is the crucial reason that we use and and handballs also another classic one. Another reason that we, that we use this tech to do replays to make sure that these obvious calls aren't uh, affecting the game, but on, on kind of being bad, like, you know, quick ticky tacky uh, fouls like this super slow-mo is a it's gonna bias you against anyone who's have who's got contact right so we I think there is a, a conversation to be had and not perhaps right now but it's not something to for, we shouldn't forget that this will bias you and maybe we should explain to referees that you're gonna get that there is some bias to try to train them to respond appropriately to that bias that they're going to have when they see something in, in, super slow.
2: Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, I mean, I was kind of like 50, 50 on the call, you know, in lifetime and on replay because yeah. it, there was no doubt it was soft. Like I think we all, anyone who, who saw the game or saw the replay afterwards or whatever, you know, he, he went down easily, but like, I, I, we've seen it like come. i get con- it right. right that's my that's my point right? like i'm conditioned by past judgments like if yeah. i was i don't like- think it's
1: some deep injustice i just right, think right, that right. i really didn't think it was a foul i in real time and then on replay i was like damn he threw him down and then i realized that what i was really seeing was the saw so- the same play i saw still soft but that it
2: just all of the the gestures were exaggerated because of the super slow Speaking of, you know, VAR and and referees and all of this, um Rafael Hernandez, you know, pretty big Barcelona person on Twitter, um, you know, a journalist, as he likes to call himself. <laughs> he, he has a very interesting take. And um, he so so Manchester City, like, you know, Gabe, you thought it was 2-2. Um, and most people thought that you know City were going to lose because at one point Schalke were were up 2-1 City were down a man and they essentially made a really good comeback. Yeah. Um, Rafael Hernandez, you know, he 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 had the real analysis for why City lost and apparently it's because a Spanish referee was chosen. And there's an anti Catalan bias. That's what it and is. Because, because Pep Guardiola is the coach. And you that's why out. penalty calls went against City and the red card call went against City. So I think, you know, this is the real deep injustices that we need to be talking about as journalists. He figured it out. Damn
1: it. He figured it out. That's why City lost. I don't know. This This stuff is just. <laughs> There's so much appetite for conspiracy theories, and I just feel like social media just fanned these people into this new heights of of, of conspiracy. But like, you know, it, I just that's such I'm so that's so fucking annoying. I find I find this particular like there's some deep conspiracy against Barcelona and 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 shit to be just one of the most infuriating things <laughs> just like <laughs> its so clearly not true and it's conditioned their fans to constantly complain about it there's literally it's one of the most unpleasant things to deal with in the entire world and their fans also complain about it when their team isn't even playing and it's like can you people just take a day off? Like oh my god, <laughs> just just fuck off. Your team is not even involved in this. You don't have to jump in with about how Manchester City versus Schalke is something somehow about you. It's not about you guys.
2: To oh, be fair, it. Madrid fans do have Oh my you god. Know, we we all do it, right? But I just thought that was particularly absurd and worth mentioning, you know, because this this podcast is all about a it's also about a bit of levity. It's not just all about the serious <laughs> stuff. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if you want to use that to transition into mentioning the Schalke City game a little bit. Um, I mean, I don't have that much to say because I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it. So, so I mean, if you want to mention more things about the U V Athletical game, it's not like you're holding yeah. up like a, a really intense discussion we're gonna have about Schalke
1: City. <laughs> no, we're not. Uh, I don't have anything to say about the Schalke City game. Um, other than so, that at one point, City were losing, and then they scored in minute eighty-five and then ninety. So right, I mean, cool. I'll just
2: I'll just give like so. Essentially, it was Aguero scored, and then and Shaka had two penalty calls. Some say it was very controversial. Some say it isn't. I, I mean, I don't know. You can go and see the replays and stuff and decide for yourself. But it it wasn't just the fact that Schalke got penalties and were ahead of City. But in that half, it looked like Pep Guardiola had gotten his tactics away in the Champions League wrong again. City weren't creating a lot. And then in the second half, when Ottomendi got sent off for a second yellow card, it really looked like the nail in the coffin. And they're like, you know, this is it. Pep Guardiola has has failed in another away game in the Champions League. How is City going to recover? They recovered by Leroy Sané coming off the bench, scoring a gorgeous free kick. And then at the very, very end of the game, Ederson played a a beautiful long ball. Um, Sterling won a shoulder to shoulder duel and you know, he he had a neat finish past the keeper, though the keeper's positioning was rather suspect and so City kind of got away with it in the end. Yeah. But um Shaka also kind of like after after the red card, they went into a shell and they stopped playing. And that's probably what, what did them in the I mean, it was it's risk management, right? But I think today's Champions League games were kind of a case showing where if you go too conservative, if you respect the opponent a little too much, it can end up costing you. Yeah. It happened in different ways with Juventus and Schalke, but yeah. the other team ended up winning because of that.
1: That's a really – I mean, I, I just want to go back to that with Juve. I just think that's such a good take. And there – I mean, that is what it, – it was a – it was a, a – Falta de ambición. I mean, that's what it was. There's no ambition there from Juve to come out and 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 it seemed like I mean I haven't f I actually haven't followed Juve super closely, but it just feel like they weren't playing their game. And Juve has a has sort of a game plan that's worked really well for them this season, and they came out and tried to change it a little bit to respond to what they saw thought of as Atletico's devastating counterattack and all this stuff. And reality Atletico really don't <laughs> I don't have that good a counterattack but Juve made them look better than they actually are which is quite a quite a feat. Um that being said I <laughs> I hate to say this but I thought Diego Costa looked pretty good against Juve and showed he a little did. bit why but lead? he missed he missed this horrible right. one he, versus one like, like but he, he did play rather well. It's funny. I try to in those because those situations are so often what people use to define whether a forward had a good day or not. I almost always try to overlook the clear mistakes to determine whether like when I'm analyzing their games and like yeah he got a one versus one where not only did he not put the ball on target he put the ball like. like seven yards off target and it wasn't like a complicated shot from a tough angle He was just running right at the keeper and he isn't it just terrible shot so he, he
2: he did he did have a good comeback overall
1: but overall it was a good comeback for him i thought he was making a lot of trouble he did this thing that murata doesn't do as well despite his physical size and Get that ball like what what Costa did really well for Spain and what he does really well for Spain. He was doing a little bit you know, well for Atleti, which is receiving long balls high up the pitch, and and holding the ball, and finding runners and 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 you know kind of causing trouble and
2: and also also shit housing and he also had.
1: yeah fighting with people and and diving and all that shit that he
2: does to mix which it he up. which he did which he did all of that this game versus Juve. I mean there was what I think was a legitimate foul, but. He definitely embellished contact, and there was that was kind of like the penalty controversy for Athleti was it wasn't a penalty because no, it was outside, no the, chance, box outside the, the, of the box at the end of the day. But that was kind of Diego Costa making more of the contact than necessary, and then he was arguing with the defenders. He got a yellow card for shouting at the ref. Like, yeah. that's all stuff that just Costa us just a master. It.
1: But and but that's and I, I have a, a certain level of respect for that actually because I do think it really does get into the heads of some of these people when when you're a player that's doing that constantly it's hard to play your game when you're constantly getting nicked and punched and beaten up by and and having this dirty ass guy you know doing his dirty ass shit to you it's way to get in people's heads and it is a vintage Diego Costa thing and it's why so many people hate him why he's so so hateable and why he's such a villain but it's not you know he's not the only one that does it i mean Real Madrid has Sergio Ramos who doesn't quite have the same level of overt villainy but he definitely does have a same <laughs> liverpool fans beg to disagree game oh right well, just gotten the great injustice against Mohamed salah the injustice of that incredibly unfair tackle that clearly cost them their only chance to win the champions league ever i don't know about this uh, <laughs> let's go to questions because we have a couple of questions um Ross Cabrera asks us um, about Marcelo. He says, Hey guys, just trying to get my thoughts on this uh, after the passions has subsided. For me, Marcelo is a problem right now. Not in posi- He's not in position defensively and doesn't do enough to stop crosses. Frustrating how little he tries. Not good enough for this badge. Let- led to two goals versus Girona and many others this season. On the other hand, he can be so shit hot going forward. But if he's almost worth conceding a goal per match right now, is it worth it? Especially given Regulon, um, Should we play him more forward, try to recover his form, fitness, confidence without risk? Right now he's a risk. Don't like the news of him going to the board, needs to grow up and take responsibility. I think he's going on offensive as he feels his time could be up. I don't know the last bit.
2: Um, yeah, I haven't heard that. I mean, maybe it's true, but... I mean, I, I'll just take out with a pinch of salt. I'd like someone to send that to me so I can see what's up. But, I, I mean, I didn't hear anything about Marcel going to the board. Um, so, okay, Marcel is interesting because I think it's kind of emblematic of how Madridistas choose to look at whatever issues they see in the squad. And I think vast majority of the time – we like to find singular players to kind of blame everything on. Danilo was a huge one. Um, I mean, he certainly had his issues, but, you know, anything went wrong. It was always Danilo's fault. Yeah. You know, I mean, Bale for offense, you know, we can say he's currently a scapegoat even though he isn't playing that well. You know, we just kind of tend to say, oh, Bale's on the pitch. You know, it's, it's all his fault. That's the reason we're not. So I, I, I don't think I can defend Marcelo's defense itself because I, I think – Ever since he came back from injury, um, he hasn't played particularly well. But to blame both goals solely on him, I mean, think it's, it's quite suspect. I mean, it ignores the multitude of errors that came before, um, I and mean, to use that as justification, justification to say not good enough for this badge or something like I, I disagree with a lot because I. If there's one person I'd say defines Madrid's mode is Marcelo, we know he loves his team and you know, we know he gives everything. I think it's I think it has less to do with effort and just sometimes he just doesn't always have a defensive concentration. And when you're in bad form, it just happens. Like we we always tend to find like super concrete reasons for why someone isn't playing yeah. well. It's like Oh, they're not trying. I mean, he's just in bad form. It happens. It is what it is. But more specifically to the two goals that we conceded, and I made sure to watch this before the podcast when I saw these questions because it's been a week, right? Or not been a week, but been like half a week or whatever. Um, The first goal came from a lack of press resistance. Odrio Zola gave the ball away. We were unable to organize. There were, you know, a, a ton of errors that then happened in the box And then we gave up the penalty that was the first goal if i'm not wrong right it was the penalty so i mean marcelo sure made one error there but to blame the entire goal on him you know not only ignores all the other errors that individual errors that occurred in that defensive sequence but also the fact that press resistance has been a big weakness under santiago solari and that's a systemic issue you know I, that, that, that's kind of what I'm getting at here, right? It's not just individuals. There, there are systemic issues at play also. Um, I think the second goal was more on Marcelo because he failed to stay to his men when when Courtois saved the shot. But, I mean, you could also go back and see all the other players that weren't on their men and stuff like that. I mean, the, the the Gerardo match at large, I think, was systemic. I think it showed the weaknesses of Solari's offense that – if you don't if Vinicius isn't playing we can't produce anything because our offense is Vinicius dribbling at players and creating and if our offense can't produce anything our defense eventually gets spawned out because it's not elite it's just okay and i i mean sure i you 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 have to criticize players who are not performing but i just think when Madrid used to do it they do it so intensely and they get so wrapped up wrapped up in doing it that they end up missing the bigger picture which is that I still think there are systemic issues at play that need to be solved
1: completely agree with that i also I find I would say you can criticize Marcelo's performance all you want, but I never would say he's not good enough for the badge and I just I feel like that implies um implies a lot that you probably aren't seeing Ross that's all that's that's I think what like it's it implies that he's somehow. Uh, not committed to the team or whatever, and I don't think. I hope that's not what you're saying because I just can't imagine why someone would think that. I mean, he may be out of shape and whatnot. Maybe he's not not maybe giving the defensive effort he he needs to be to 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 be all the way back. But man, it's I just that's it's the the problem is not that he doesn't care about the team or not good enough for the badge. <laughs> um, in terms of how to fix him and. There, there is just a period of time we're gonna have to wait a little bit. I mean, frankly, he's. uh it's and it's <gasps> worth waiting to make <gasps> and working with him to make sure that he can get back because he's that good. His someone offense is that someone good. Someone certainly
2: agrees with you.
1: And Logan, Logan does agree with me. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I
2: would. I, I think it's. I mean, it's not. Ex- Exactly like a Modric situation, right? But But just just kind of think of it in that way. We waited literally half a season for Modric to come into form. And a lot of people were just like, I mean, we need to get rid of him. Maybe, I mean, there's still a solid argument given his age. But like considering, you know, his COVID is coming back, all that, we have to reconsider. But now we're like, oh, our entire team is transformed now that Modric is back to his best self. I think we shouldn't forget the fact that Marcelo is the greatest offensive force from the, the left fullback position the world has ever seen. Yes. So, I mean, that is worth waiting around for.
1: And also, um, just to emphasize that, he was so good at the beginning of this season that the yep. people who are saying, this is it for him, it's over, are... <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: They're pretending that doesn't exist. Exactly. <laughs> They're engaging in they're they're engaging in a fair amount of um, <laughs> rec- such recency bias that it's it's a little bit ridiculous and overwhelming. Apologies for the dog. He has had a lot to say today, but he also feels strongly because I bought him or I'm buying him a little Real Madrid dog jersey. and It's gonna have Marcelo on the back because <laughs> he's my favorite player. Um, but yeah, so the, actually the second question here is also about Marcelo. Um, Vinod Barachula asks us. Uh, is Marcelo to blame do you think he is the only real madrid personnel to blame for the loss against girona um, i felt second the second half was lackluster from the entire team and i don't know what silvio was doing in the game he should have been subbed first uh, so i think i i think this is getting to what you were saying earlier that this there's always going to that that the media and fans look to for a scapegoat when a game or a team loses and the game goes wrong, a team loses and, uh, Marcelo has become the easy scapegoat. I mean, including that there was a, um, uh, I think Mark or someone tweeted or, or, or posted on Instagram, a, a visual graphic of Marcelo's last 10 games versus, um, games that he hasn't started. And he saw it and he said, damn, looks like I'm the problem. um, and like clearly is upset by it. and and you know what it that is also extremely it is really unfair to him. I just it you win and lose as a team. Sure, he he has not. I don't. No one is defending his current defensive form, but it he is to be to have him be the scapegoat is infuriating. And just because like there are uh, there are many other players. They're not even. They're other. He's not the classic Real Madrid scapegoat, and it's weird that they've decided that he's the guy to go now. And maybe well, it's because a, there's a well, young in, Spanish player coming up behind Spanish, him sp- finally.
2: He's in front of Long, a young Spanish player who is playing very well, and so now it's time for Marcelo to go. I mean, so again – and I don't think there's really anything particularly malicious about – Madre Vista's criticizing Marcelo, I just think it's just people's honest takes, it's it's a way a lot of people yes. you know, ha, have criticized, but again, I would be, so like, I, I don't think there's like guilt by association or anything, there's obviously some things that like these reporters from Marsa and us are going to say that would be correct, but I would be wary when like line for line almost you're agreeing with like their kind of critiques. And yes. I, I mean, I would just, I just take it a little bit of salt, right? Like, it
1: brings it all the like, way back to bail,
2: right? And it's right, like first conversation we were having. They, their, their criticisms often do not come in good faith. And I think Ma- Madre Vista's just kind of assume everyone talking about the team as passionately as them has the same good faith that they do. Yeah. And that's just not, that's just not simply the case. You know, not everyone wants just the best for the team flat yeah. out. Some people want the best for certain players that they like. Exactly. And this is a perfect situation to capitalize on the fact that Marcelo is, you know, competing with a very promising young Spanish left back yep. who is performing, performing at a very high level. And, I mean, it's just – this is this this happens so many times that it can't be a coincidence. Anymore. There
1: was – in my last, you know, number of years following this team, I can't remember the last time Marcelo was challenged by a Spanish left back because for a long time it was Quintrao. And even with Quintrell, there was still a little bit of like occasionally there was all wise Marcelo starting that kind of stuff, but really, there was not a concerted thing now suddenly there there's a young Spanish left back that's playing well that that it does appear to be a possibility to be the Marcelo's um replacement in the future it could be him it could be Ashraf and I bet you anything should Ashraf come back and start Mm -hmm. playing in that position there will be a similar campaign against him uh the uh suddenly Marcelo is you know uh uh there are these stories coming out about how like I don't know what this stuff about the board is but that's not at all like it's exactly following this pattern of it's they're going to create a controversy to make it seem like he doesn't want to, that he doesn't take the team seriously enough, that he doesn't care about the team enough uh, as part of a concerted and intentional plan to remove him from the squad in favor of a person that they are more in favor of. And this is just, and again, just to wrap up this entire show with the same thing we were talking about at the beginning, this is not a conspiracy because we know from many people have said that it's true. And that is what is what really gets me about some of this stuff. It's like it, it is infuriating that this uh, that 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 this is true, and that we we have been some of the only people to call it out, and we've been calling it out constantly for a long time. Um, I so think you I mean I,
2: I, I think I can remember all the way back to like two thousand eleven or something. You wrote an article about like Pepe or something and the way that he was represented in the press. But I I mean I don't remember specifically. But yeah, we I mean we, we we've been talking about this a long time. I think an interesting thing to note you you brought up Colin Trout, and so Regulon has been playing really well, right? Like nobody debates that. That's yeah. still nowhere at close to the level peak Fabio, Colin Trout I think we forget how good Colin Trout was. Yes. Colin Trout had a much more legitimate claim to starting over Marcelo than Regulon currently has, and that's no knock on Regulon. Fabio Coentrao was just a top five left back in the world in his prime, or, or a top ten.
1: Yeah, for and those for those never, couple years, he really was absolutely elite.
2: We never saw this kind of pressure and anger, you know, in the press about the injustice of Marcelo, who consistently started over Coentrao because it's not good faith. If it was good faith, we would have seen more pressure at that time for Coentrao to start. Because he had a stronger case. Because Cohen Trout, you know, he was better than Reguilón offensively and also better defensively and clearly better than Marcelo defensively. And and we just never saw it in the same way because this is not happening in good faith.
1: And we don't see – so if you look at some of the other positions where the players are keeping out younger Spanish talent, you don't see the same concerted effort because the players are – in incredibly good form, and they are the best of all time, right? Like, there is not a loud call, right, to bench Modric or Kroos in favor of, uh, uh, in favor of Ceballos, right? Because Modric and Kroos are so good, and because they they are currently playing really well and have played at this absolutely Ballon d'Or level for the last few years. So,
2: And also Ceballos has had a big role in the team this year.
1: Right. It, 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 but whenever there is this situation where you have a slightly underperforming foreign star and an up-and-coming Spanish player who is getting his minutes, I mean, my favorite example of this Om, is the first year that Real Madrid had OG Ronaldo on the team. That was o yeah. three o two o two o three. I. Uh, he went through a couple of minor slumps. And again, this was a season where he was the Pichichi or or second in line and scoring like about, you know, 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8 goals per game, right? Just absolutely elite, best in the world type numbers. When he whenever he would go through a slump, anytime the Real Madrid press would demand that he be benched in favor of this young Spanish striker whose name is currently escaping me. And that dude was had these games where he would come in and score, he would get ten minutes and score a goal. Like, and he was classic for being this like super sub guy who would come in for Ronaldo. and the the it was constantly, constantly calling for Ronaldo to be benched. Ronaldo, right? Like this is, and then as soon as, you know, that guy was sold or loaned out or whatever, the the bench Ronaldo stuff score stopped, even though, Real Madrid had acquired someone like Michael Owen and other of these people that were argued. Ronaldo's form declined after that,
2: relative, relative to what he performed 20 because 20 of injuries 20. and all of that.
1: Right. So it's it. This happens and it's happened for years, and it's not it's not at all just now. I mean, we you can trace it back to like Wesley Snyder saw this. We saw it with Robin. We saw it with, you know, uh, Van Nistelrooy that year. He played, I mean, it was. It was really. I don't. I don't mean to just keep harping on this, but it's just so. It's so in such bad faith. It's so predictable. It's so constant. And right now, it just happens to be coming for my favorite player. <laughs>
2: so I'm going to yell about it. And I mean, I the just, moral. The, the moral of the story is: is just be be aware of these, be aware of these agendas, and you know, and just critique based on what you Javier see. Javier on-
1: Garcia Portillo, that's what the guy was. That's the name of the guy who they said should be starting in front of um, Ronaldo in 2002-2003. Look look him up. He, uh, he had a completely lackluster career after that one season because he wasn't actually that good.
2: Ugh. Yeah, and we're not necessarily saying that that'll happen to Reguilon or whatever. It's just we're saying that that's not what these outlets care about, right? So it's not based on objective fact. It's based on like it's opportunistic, and so I mean just keep that in mind, right? Like we're not saying this to make you suddenly think, oh, Marcelo's having a great season. Bale, you know, is, is going to win the Ballon d'Or. You you could continue to have these yeah. same opinions. Just be wary of you know where other people, where some people are coming from, and just we're always always keep it to verifiable stuff and then stuff you see on the pitch. If you're gonna argue Bill doesn't start or Marcelo doesn't start, I mean I mean say it's because they're not playing well, you know? And right. and, and tell me why. And that's completely yeah. fair reason people can dispute.
1: Ross who asked us the first question, I am not at all accusing you of this. Just to be clear, this is not about you. This is a just a long standing personal grievance that I have with especially the two main – there, so there are three main outlets that do it. Two of them are the the Madrid Dailies, Marca and As, who have a clear – who have this clear bias, who we – and we, we, we've we worked with people who said so and we know it very deeply. And then the, there's the TV program Chiringuito de Jugones, which also has the same bias, but also is just a basic variety show where they just say insane shit to get people to get angry.
2: <laughs> Chiringuito is fucking wild.
1: It's wild. I've never just – and – I'll close by saying, I've never seen in, in the entire history of watching sports, I've never seen a program like Chiringuito where they literally bring on referees and berate them and ask them about calls that they didn't make. Or they bring on like the head of the league and ask him what his favorite team is. <laughs> it's like <laughs> fucking ridiculous.
2: It's <laughs> like, and, and their videos are something else, and they're like edit selectively yeah. editing videos yeah. with dramatic music just top class yeah. stuff.
1: And they do like bad lip reading of people. It's like, "What was he <laughs> saying on the pitch?" And they'll go and be like, "I think he's saying this." Like blah blah. Like it's really good. I it actually sort of miss watching it because it is, if you take it as the kind of parody of sports journalism that it is, then it's pretty funny. But if you the problem is that so many people take that shit really seriously and who are have their views influenced by it. And that is when I get really annoyed because I feel like smart people who are just trying to have a fun time and watch their team are, you know, really taken in by some of these narratives and that, that's, that bump, that bums me out. Um, all right, we are, let's go wrap that up for this week. Um, we'll be back this Sunday. Keon is recording. He decided to bail on us for recording today because he's recording a post game. True. um, which shows obviously where Keon's, Real love lies. If Keon, if Keon was here,
2: he could have kept us on track. We spent like forty minutes ranting about the Spanish press. You know that's when, true. when, when the when the when parent is out, the kids complain. That's what we did.
1: <laughs> so um, yeah, this is actually a really long show uh, because we <laughs> we said it was gonna be thirty
2: track. minutes, and look at what we did.
1: <laughs> well, that's what happens, Keon. That's what happens when you go on date night. The kids throw a party and wreck the house. So. <laughs> Alright everybody, it's good to talk to you. all great time to you buddy. Um, and, and until this weekend, Ala Madrid, madrid Wonderful article in on the
0: Managing Madrid blog website uh, states that, that Benzema keeps on projecting the minutes that he's cleared because it will rack up to an amount of minutes by the end of the season that no other single player in Real Madrid's history has played in a single competition. Nobody, including Cristiano Ronaldo. Now, you talk about a 31-year-old player in Benzema. So, if I was the Madridistas at that managing Madrid's website, I'd be putting that in a letter to Solari It's a wonderful breakdown. It's projecting ahead, of course, but it's food for thought. You can't stand me now. You can't stand me now. Are we enough to keep it together? Or do we just keep on pretending? And hope our luck is never ending. You tried to pull the wall. I wasn't feeling too clear.
1: Until so you need a mending If you wanna try, if you wanna
0: try There's no worse you could do I, 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 I know you lie All you, you do, do is make, make me cry All words, they ain't true Oh, can't take me anywhere I can't take you anywhere. anywhere Can't take me anywhere no, I won't take you anywhere, no, I'll, take you anywhere no. I'll take you anywhere you wanna go Oh, no, you can't stand you can't stand me, not